Open up that crystal Pepsi and get comfortable. This is Dope Nostalgia. Welcome, friends, to episode 99. Oh, my goodness. Wow. 99. It's been quite a journey to get here. And our guest today is something very special, let me tell you. The king of freestyle music, I swear, George Lamond is going to be on the show today, and he's a really big deal. So I was so excited to have the chance to talk to him about his career. I also wanted to mention I did a poll um, on social media because I was wondering what kind of things can we do to improve the podcast? And one thing I was thinking about is the length. Sometimes when you get into a good conversation with a guest, you don't really think about how long you're talking for, and you don't want to cut that short. But what I'm going to try to do is, is kind of condense the episodes a little bit more. So we're kind of trying to aim to make them just a bit shorter for you because I know people don't always have a lot of time. So the popular response was about a 30 to 45 minute podcast is usually the best length. So that's what we're going to try to slim it down to. I might not always be successful in doing that. But that's the goal anyway. So um, if you have any feedback that you ever want to give us about the show and you want to leave us a voicemail, please call us at 780-851-8785. That's 780-851-8785. Now it is voicemail. So it's just like old school. You got to give us a call. Put your thoughts down. You don't have to say who you are or you could. doesn't matter. We'll probably play your voicemail on the show and respond to it. And uh We'd love to have the chance to talk to you. So give us a call. Wikipedia Moment. George Lamond was born as George Garcia in Washington, D.C. He is an American freestyle music and salsa music singer. Lamond has released seven albums between 89 to 2014. And he's best known for his 1989 number 25 Billboard debut, Bad of the Heart, and his number one salsa smash, Kate Vaz, which spawned an RIAA certified gold album. He also had a 2008 top five radio hit, Don't Stop Believin'. He moved to his parents' native Puerto Rico at age two. He remained there until the age of seven, at which point the family, which included eight siblings, returned to the U.S., settling in the Bronx, where he primarily grew up. In 89, Lamont's debut single, Bad of the Heart, was released on the indie label, Lagoza Records. Freestyle, as the song was quickly labeled, was a subgenre of dance pop music, which origins go back to the early 80s in the Latino communities of New York City. By the mid to late 80s, freestyle would cross over to non-Latinos with support by Anglo radio stations across the U.S. with artists such as Shannon, Expose, Lisa Lisa, The Cover Girls, and Stevie B. The sales buzz of the single, Bad of the Heart, and Lamont's signature vocals quickly caught the attention of Columbia Records, and George was signed to a major recording deal. His debut album, also titled Bad of the Heart, pushed the single to its peak at number 25 on the Billboard Hot 100, and included a string of successful follow-up singles, Without You, Look Into My Eyes, and No Matter What, the third of which is a duet with Brenda K. Starr. Lamont enjoyed an opening slot on the North American leg of the New Kids on the Block tour, playing stadiums throughout the U.S. He would go on over to cover the NKOTB hit Baby I Believe in You on his next album, releasing the tune as the album's second single. In 1992, In My Life, Lamont's sophomore album was released, bolstered by the lead single Where Does That Leave Love, which quickly charted high. The album contained a solid mix of freestyle and pop, along with a couple ballads, all intended to further build his name with mainstream music. 
1993, George released his third album and his first Spanish-language album, Creo Un Ti. It had two top 15 Billboard Latin singles, Baby Creo Un Ti and No Morira. I'm not very good at speaking Spanish, so I hope I got those right. <laughs> He's recorded with the likes of Elisa Lopez, Mark Anthony, K7, and so many more. And has had such a storied and beautiful career. It's a pleasure to welcome George Lamond to Dope Nostalgia. Now, like so far in this history of this podcast, the only freestyle artist, of course, was Betty D, who's been on the show. And I, I was just such a huge fan of the genre as a child. Um, now, to get back into your history, you were born in D.C., is that correct? Right. I was born in Washington, D.C., uh, in Georgetown, uh, George Washington Hospital. Uh, but I don't remember much of it because I was a baby, a newborn. Mm -hmm. And my mom was, she used to work at one of the embassies as a cook, as a chef. Mm -hmm. And uh, she was so busy, she sent me with my family to Puerto Rico. So I remember a lot of growing up in the island of Puerto Rico in, in my farm, in the farm that my family had. So from the ages of pretty much newborn to like seven years old, it was all the island of Puerto Rico. And uh, do you ever get a chance to go back and visit Puerto Rico? Oh, absolutely. Oh yeah. My brothers are still, my family members are still out there. Uh, unfortunately, because of COVID and restrictions, we can't, well, now it's a lot more looser. We can go in, but back then, but yeah, we make trips every year. We do cruises, we hang out and we visit the family. So um, I'm actually planning on going this summer again, because two of my older brothers still live out there. They have families and I have nephew, nephew and nieces out there. So, um, and a lot of fans out there in Puerto Rico. So I'd like to go out there. It's a lot of fun. That'd be nice too if you get to do performances while you're there. Yeah, I actually, the last time I did a performance there was uh, I would say about like seven years ago. It was a, it was a while ago. Believe it or not, um, my Latin music connected there more than my dance music. My dance music is known there, like my freestyle stuff and the mm -hmm. and the, the stuff that was charged like "Bad of the Heart" and. Uh, the remake of Don't Stop Believing and I think Without You, but the Latin stuff, the Spanish recording stuff, that's what they remember. Yeah, and I think it's really exciting too that you were recording in Spanish at the time too when yeah. some Spanish artists were focusing on Anglo recordings. Yeah, 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 you're absolutely right. Yeah, that was the time of the big uh, Latin boom with Ricky, Martin, and mm -hmm. Shakira. I was already, well, Colombia... Uh, had came up with a, you know, a genius idea. It's just like, hey, let's, he speaks Spanish, let him sing Spanish. So um, again, I grew up listening to Spanish music as a little boy in Puerto Rico. And when I came back to the States, I didn't know any English. So all I knew was Spanish. I had to relearn English again. But I got the best of both worlds. I grew up with musicians who a lot of my peers probably don't even know. There was a lot of there were a lot of older cats and they were mostly ballads, but it was infused in me already, mm. whether I knew or not. All I knew is when I came back and if I heard a song, I would I could easily sing it without a problem. And you know, music was music to me, so it didn't matter what language I was singing in. I just knew I could do it. So mm. when Columbia Records approached me and they decided to do like a marketing campaign, I'm like, let's do it, let's do it. So that was kind of cool. It opened a lot of doors for me as well in the Latin world. 
per se. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I was going to mention is I was doing some of my research on you and your music, uh, and I was so surprised to hear that you had done a cover of Baby, I Believe in You for oh, yeah. the New Kids on the Block. And it's oh, amazing. Huge blockhead. I'm a blockhead. I love the New Kids. I went on tour with them in uh, 1990. It was me, um, Perfect Gentleman, Brenda K. Starr, Marky Mark, and the Funky Bunch. Forgot who else. It was another group. And I remember meeting Dick Scott backstage. I don't know if you know who they are. They're, they used yeah. to manage. Um, Maurice, uh, Maurice Starr saw him and mm-hmm. met so many amazing people. And they were so cool. Donnie Wahlberg and, and uh, Danny. They were just, they were so nice to me, man. It was, uh, you know, they used to call us track acts. So every time we used to go into the big arenas, obviously, you know, the tickets, people, the fans were there to see him. The new kids on the block, but since they were on the same label as us, um, the record companies put a lot of label mates together, and uh, they were like, "All right, track acts this way." And I remember the first time I heard that, I'm like, I I, uh, I looked over to my my manager at the time. Her name was Lewis. Lewis, I was like, "Are they calling me a track act?" He goes, "Yeah, bro, that's what you are. <laughs> Get used to it." <laughs> I was like, "No problem." <laughs> what does that even mean? Track, track act. act. So, track act means um, um, so they had a band. We had tracks, meaning Got music it. tracks. So we had uh, just instrumental music. So okay. we were considered track acts. So track acts that way to your dressing rooms and the bands to the, the only band there was, I think, I think the only band that they, it was the New Kids on the Block and I think Debbie Gibson. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we uh we crossed I crossed paths with so many musicians back in those days in the 1990s. I'm talking everyone, Janet Jackson, Paul Abdul, Michael Jackson, Prince, mm. Donna. It was just crazy how we were all in the same room. Obviously, they had a bigger uh fan base than we did being, you know, more uh because dance was always considered at the bottom of the totem pole when it comes to category and music. Mm. 
and um, uh, well, in those days, and uh, and you know, it was something that not many, not that many people knew about. Not not many people knew about the the style of music that was coming out of the Northeast, New York, and and Florida and Chicago. Yeah, and isn't that pretty much the definition of freestyle? Is the origins are from the Bronx and New York City and that area? That's yeah, where a lot of the artists got together. Absolutely, yeah. Mostly um, uh, Latin-based communities. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where rap pretty much started. So mm-hmm. we were. It all surrounded around the the music of of hip hop because it was mostly African Americans and Latinos at those parties at the time. They called them block parties because um, in in a city like New York, there's a lot of streets and it's light to light. So we would call them blocks. How many blocks do you live? Like three blocks away from here. So if you do 170th Street, 171st, 172nd, that's considered two blocks. Two blocks. Oh, so 172nd, yeah. So we call them block parties. And uh, every 10 blocks, there was a public school. And in a public school, you had this big space that was caged in because that's where most of the kids in elementary school went for recess. And they would run around and play hopscotch and jump rope. Well, at nighttime, the DJs, the break the breakdancing and the rappers, they would steal electricity power from the light post because um, we needed power for the turntables and the music. So that's where the block parties were. And they were at night. So there was barely any light. Um, but no one cared. They just wanted to hear the music. And that's where a lot of the music before radio was played, like Grandmaster, Flash, and the Furious Five, Kumo D, uh, and all that stuff, Planet Rock, um, Sugar Hill Gang. And um, a lot of the Latino breakdancers were mostly Hispanics. Um, we, were the, we were the dancing visual um, most of the rappers and singers were African-Americans, some Latinos, but mostly dominated by African-Americans. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were the front image for the music um, until we, uh, until the Latinos started mixing um, and decided to graduate from the dance floor to the stage because we had something to, we had something to say. We had, we had, we had, a, we had a word in what we wanted to do. And uh, the only way to do it was to get on stage and define it ourselves. So we went ahead and wrote some songs and created some of the uh, drum patterns that were close to hip hop, a um, little yeah. faster. And we were young, so we all wrote about the universal language, love. We all batted the heart, look into my eyes. What is that? Leave love without you. Yeah. Uh, I love, uh, uh, baby, I believe in you. And it's just, just all, yeah. it was all the same thing. And that's how it gravitated to this young cult of dance music and it just spread to the United States like wildfire. Now, every every state called it something different. New York City called it Latin hip hop slash freestyle. New York, uh, Florida, down south, they called it like booty music or dance music. Um, Chicago called it heartthrob music. The West Coast called it high energy. Um, so everyone had their own title for it but it was the same thing yeah i guess it's really the the drum patterns that are very distinct too right like part of the uh part of what makes it freestyle and um one thing i really appreciate about freestyle music is too like 
the artists of freestyle seem like such a family-like community even now like you guys have yeah. stuck together and still do tours together and how close are you now with um other freestyle artists and have you had a chance to get together and plan out tours and whatnot since covid yeah, we're pretty close with one of uh, one another. But unfortunately, ever since Facebook came, just like everything else, Facebook can sometimes be used for negative stuff. And then you had uh, it. It started mostly with uh, legal issues because what wound up happening is a certain musicians wound up staying in the business when the music was taken off radio, and it was their livelihood. And some of the members of certain groups uh, they detached themselves from the group and decided to choose another path. You know, they wanted to have a job with security, which is totally understandable. And some of the musicians stood and they decided to um, copyright names. And that's when everything just hit the fan. You know, that's when, when uh, social media became really big and people started realizing, Oh, that's where Lisa Lisa is going to be. Oh, that's where Vanilla Ice is performing. Oh, that's where the cover girls in George Lebon and TK is performing. And then, but then they noticed they look a little different. Um, so um, it started getting crazy once they started, once the, the uh, they started having legal issues with one another, they would just bad things are being thrown out on social media. So um, we are close to one another, but unfortunately there's a lot of them that uh, because of uh, litigation, um, they're, they're not the best of friends right now, but I have tons of good friends in the business. And when we get together, we, uh, we kick it, we kick it for a while backstage and, you know, it's still a little weird. We, we, we try not to, uh, uh, invade our space because of COVID unfortunately, but we try to come together as much as possible because, you know, that thing has touched so many, of of, of, as you know, people, and I'm sure in your life and my life. And so it's the same with us. And it used to be a free-for-all. I mean, we literally, I would walk into Stevie B's room. I'm like, hey, what's up, dude? What's up? We're done. And we start sitting there. We start drinking and talking and what we're going to plan out next. And, you know, now it's got to, you know, we, we take it with a, with a, with a grain of salt. We got to be very careful with one another. But, yes, we are very close to one another. We talk to each other most of, whenever we need something from one another. And it's just a matter of just calling. Yeah. And so now... Like it is difficult to, to manage all the performances and such, but I wanted to know what your current projects are that we can get people excited about now that, you know, things are slowly kind of returning back to a live atmosphere. That's for sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. We just released um, a song, uh, a remake by Paula Cole called I Believe in Love. Mm. with uh fly group so it's a uh, fly group featuring george lamont it's doing really 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 well in the freestyle community um i think we're up to like forty thousand views within three weeks i think it hit forty thousand a couple of minutes ago and uh yeah it's so much fun um so joy gardner who is the one of the members behind fly group production team was away from the music business for about 23 years and he uh he was uh working for CNN and he, he felt like there was a void that was missing. And, you know, the, the political air was just, was not to his liking. And he decided to step away from that. And, and he went back to what he loved, which was music. Now, the last stuff he produced was anything that had to do with TKA. So it was about 20 something years ago. So he slowly came back into this and me and Joey Gardner are really good friends. So he called me one day with this idea and he was like, I think it's time for us to release a song. 
in today's world. Uh, there's a lot of hatred going on right now. The streets are dark. Um, people are confused. We need some something. We need some love in the air. We need we need to excite people about about this music again. So he came across this idea when he heard the Paula Cole original, and then he thought of, hmm, what if I mesh this together? And he says, the only way I would do this record, George, is with you. You would have to be the voice. I didn't think it was going to work. I'm like, I don't think it's going to work, George. I don't like the way it sounds. I, I don't know, man. I, I questioned it throughout the whole recording process. Finally, when I recorded the song, um, you know, in these days, and it was COVID, you know, it was, at the time it was, pretty bad so we had to record it separately so mm -hmm. i was in my own recording studio here in florida because i now live in florida uh and he was back in new york and um um and we wound up recording it. and i sent them the stems uh of all the vocals and i figured it's not gonna work i mean i did what i did he calls me back within the hour and he tells me Dude, I love it. Whatever you did, you capture the moment in the song. So I'm thinking, oh shit, we're gonna do this. So I'm like, <laughs> you really like it? He goes, he goes, I love it. You, you gotta leave it. I was like, well, well, I can make it better. No, 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 no. Don't do nothing. This is perfect. Let me work with it. So it was done in early 2020. And because of COVID, he just wanted to wait. And we waited for a whole year. We sat with that song for about a year. No one ever heard it. We did a video. No one knew about it. Um, we didn't leak it out. And once we released it in November, October, I want to say October, the song was released. And then in November 8th, the video was released. It has just been a whirlwind of constant comments and inboxes and calls and emails and interviews um, that it was so flattering. Um, so the song is called I Believe in Love, uh, featuring myself. And uh, that's the record we have out right now. I definitely want you guys to check it out. Um, We're going to play it. We'll play it on the show. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I want you guys to tell me if you recognize my my love interest. Um, She's a good friend of ours, and she's been in a lot of movies and, and TV series, and she did this favor for Joey Gardner. So I was so grateful for her to be a part of it. A little intimidating, you know, because she's done so many great movies, but it was fun. It was fun. We had a great time. And a lot of people are like, wait a minute, isn't that from? I'm like, yes, it is. Oh, it's like a little, little Easter egg for us to figure yeah, out. Hey, I'm into that. <laughs> Too sweet. And we'll, we'll uh, make sure that we also share the video on our playlist on our YouTube, too. Please do. Awesome. Can check it out.
albums and artists that really turned you onto music. The ones that made you really stop and listen. The ones that shaped your tastes and opened your horizons. That's what we want to talk about. Dig deep into your vinyl, CDs, or even stream away. Let's listen and learn all about what made you fall in love with music in the first place. This is Learning to Listen. So good. Okay, interesting take. Uh, could you read like a human being? That's exactly the way a human would read that. Take two. The ones that, uh, I don't know, shaped your tastes and opened your horizons, you know? That's, that's, that's what we want to talk about, you know? You know? Dig, <laughs> dig deep into your vinyl, CDs, or even stream away. Join Quinn, Charlie, and myself, Naomi, for a brand new album every single week on L2L, Learning to Listen. Found everywhere great podcasts are served. There's just one, and there's no mistaking it one, just no faking it one. Why don't you and me do some fancy stuff in the night? Oh, we got two, starting it, ooh, with that smile, yeah, one. Just for feeling, just for taste, just for the fun. Twinkle 
you do this one? You're not so bad yourself. Any concerts coming up? Yes. Um, future? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I am. So I'm on. Um, if any of my fans want to know where to follow my tour dates, uh, Bands in Town is an app that I use, um, and my website www.georgelebon.com. Um, yeah, New York. Uh, I just came from Miami. Um, I'm going to Chicago. Uh, going to California. Um, all my dates are on there. Um, I don't know them by heart, but they're on there. No, no one expects you to know them by heart. <laughs> yeah, Long Island, Long Island, uh, uh, and uh, and and then uh, back to New York. So I'm mostly in the Northeast, but for 2022, we're going to focus all on the West Coast. Um, I actually got a couple of calls from Canada, um, so we're working that out as well. Um, I know it was Montreal. Uh, Montreal was one of them. So we're, we're working with that right now. Oh, it's a beautiful city. That's that, like, I mean, I'm on the opposite, opposite side of the country, but I always hear how beautiful and amazing Montreal is the food, the culture. I love it. I love it. I mean, um, the culture is one of them. Um, I think it's fascinating. It's just, it's almost like going to Puerto Rico. If you go to Puerto Rico and you go to a Chinese restaurant, Mm -hmm. you walk into this Chinese restaurant and, you know, just like any Chinese restaurant, um, in New York City, you tell them what you want and, you know, they'll tell you, OK, this is what you want. In, 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 in Puerto Rico, they will speak to you. If you close your eyes, it sounds like an island. It sounds like a local. They speak Spanish. Amazing. Better than me. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you go to Canada, is, is, I think French is a beautiful language and I think the culture is so sexy. And um, um and the fashion and the food and um, I'm embarrassed to say, but I love poutine. And even before anyone knew about poutine, I'm like, yeah, guys, don't, you don't know what Canada is until you have some poutine. That thing is addicting. It's not the best health, not the healthiest food for you to eat, but it's, I don't care. It's delicious. Yeah. It's not a real poutine too. If, unless it has the, like the cheese curds, you can't just like put the shredded melted cheese. Apparently no. it has to be the curds. No. <laughs> no, they call that they call that disco fries in New York. That's what the diners was. What the diners used to do in the 1990s after drinking so much alcohol, I'm sure that's what you what that's where poutine came into play. Mm. You would go clubbing, you have all this alcohol in you. You go late to a diner or to a restaurant at night. They used to stay up really, really late to like they were actually 24 hours. You would go in and you would order disco fries. These are thick, cut fried French fries with beef gravy and cheese. Not curds, cheese, yeah. just regular cheese, which would make it gooey. But the curds, the squeaky little pop, that's what I used to look for. And uh, uh, man, it was a big thing. I tried to bring it home with me. It didn't taste the same. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't quite work. I know. Doesn't okay, work. People on the plane was like, what the hell is that smell? <laughs> <laughs> so embarrassed. That's okay. You'll get to have some soon, hopefully. Yes, I will. I can actually, I actually went to culinary school so I can make it myself. So, but uh, I've been on a health kick lately, so I got, I got to chill. Just uh, sparingly have that poutine. Absolutely. What was your favorite album that you released in the nineties? My favorite album was um, my first album, Battle of the Heart. Mm-hmm. 
only because I was so naive. I was so green. Um, I didn't know what I was doing, but I guess that was the magic. Um, I was 19 years old and I'm talking about love and life and I didn't know what the hell I was, was I, was I thinking? I, I didn't even experience love yet. I didn't have any kids, but that was the fascinating thing, the way I connected to these songs and what I was writing and the people I was working with, because it was a team effort. Like, I mean, my whole team was like amazing. Like my product team, my management, my production, the engineering, my background vocals, the co-writers I worked with, the writers that submitted music. I learned so much from this first album that it was like, Music Life 101. And one of the things that I appreciate at that age was that um, we didn't have social media like we have now. We literally had to fly to countries to meet people physically, shake their hand, hang out with them for a while, get to know their likes, their dislikes, their passions, visit the distribution rooms, um, the record stores, the record companies, the manufacturing companies, the clubs, the DJs, the record pools, just anybody who was involved in music. And I, I got to meet an enormous amount of people and made some great relationships that some of these people are CEOs to record companies right now. It's funny. My, my, it was called an LPM. That's a local promotion manager. Back in the days when you went to visit another state, somebody was in charge of taking this particular artist who was marketed in this particular demographic and they take you to meet the DJs, the shows, the interviews, the, 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 the magazines, and all the media that they had attached with that particular. And my LPM was um, Charlie, Charlie, Charlie Walk. Charlie Walk is the president of Republic. He has owned Republic Records, Ariana Grande. And Charlie Walk used to LPM the new kids on the block because he was from Boston. Uh-huh. So, so Charlie was a crazy mother effer. He was a trip. And he <laughs> taught me, he taught me so much just to learn some of that. I got a little bit of being with him before he blossomed to the to this, this empire he has today. Um, super nice guy. And uh, that's that's to name that's just naming one out of the many that I that I, that I met. No kidding, hey. But to no. answer your question, I never knew about, about LPMs. Yeah, but to answer your question, Battle of the Heart. I'm sorry, I don't want to tangent, but Battle of the Heart was 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 one of my favorite was one of my favorite records. Yeah, local promotion manager back in the nineteen in the eight like 1989, 90, uh, mm-hmm. to like the mid 90, 95, every artist was uh, was handed an LPM, whatever Texas, Tennessee. Uh, Louisiana, uh, Texas, Canada, that you just had someone who took you and their job was to pretty much make all the stops before you go home. They had to be pretty knowledgeable about each market then. They had to, yeah, they had to have a lot of connections and they had liaisons. They had many liaisons working that were not, uh, they were doing um, 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 freelancing for other record companies. But yeah, they took me everywhere. These, this is like, It was like having a concierge. That's pretty much yeah. what it was. Favorite concierge, you know, we're going to go to, what's that big station? They played my record out in Canada, uh, 100 FM. Um, I don't know. It might've been probably out of Toronto is what I'm guessing. I was yeah, yeah, to. yeah. 
yeah, yeah. So we had an LPM out there and I didn't, and he pretty much, uh, he was the one that facilitated anything that has to do with radio stations out there. So mm-hmm. it was oblivious to me because I didn't know, but they, they come back and they would pretty much report, Hey, this station is playing your record. This TV show is playing. You wants to do an interview. This magazine has been playing. Da, da, da. So that's, it's like a concierge to the ears, to the streets of, 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 of every type of media that could promote the actual single that was out at the time. Hmm. Pretty cool. From going from your favorite album to deep cuts and album tracks, what would you have wished would have been a single? What's a song that you would have chosen that you would have loved to have had that opportunity? Um, That's a really good question. I've never been asked that question before. I always wanted... um, there was a song on the first album. It was called Love's Contagious. Mm-hmm. Love's Contagious was a song about uh, just living in a better world and um, everyone making the right, the right direction, the right, uh, the right, r- taking the right road to positivity and everything was all love in the air and there was no wars it was just about, it was, it was, it was just like a sort of coming together. And it was a song that kind of didn't make sense, but it worked. And a lot of fans, a lot of George Lamont fans, they love that one. Um, yeah. They love that one. Love's Contagious is one of my, one of the singles that it was a B side. It was a B side to another song. So it wasn't really like a single single. It was just a B side. We got to turn, we got to turn. It was actually the B-side of a cover I did with Mark Anthony. It was uh, the single was I Want You Back by the Jackson Fives. And I had wow. Mark Anthony's backgrounds for me at the time. He wasn't, he wasn't recording at the time. He was still, you know, trying to find himself, trying to try to find that niche that he had. So he was recording pretty much anything that had to do with dance music or ballads or pop theater uh, until he blew up with the Spanish stuff. Yeah, because 
I know he's primarily a salsa artist. So I was I was thinking I never really thought about him doing dance music. Yeah, yeah, he did a lot of uh, Google, um, a lot of songs that he put out. Nothing that stuck, but if you're in the dance community in the music business, you know, you just know that you've heard the songs, you you know the DJs who played it, that you you probably had a, a cassette or a CD yourself. Um, they never broke the pop charts, but you know, he had a bigger he had a bigger calling. Yeah, <laughs> a, a big calling, and it did things very worked well. out for Mark Anthony. Well, yeah, he's fine. <laughs> Let's not talk about him anymore. Forget about Mark. <laughs> Tell me about the project Urban Society. So this was working with Robert Clovellis, correct? Oh my goodness. Yeah. Urban Society. So this was a, it was a, I had a, so I had three recording deals in, in the, in like 97, 98, I had an international recording deal. I had a Latin deal. And I had an English deal. So in the international deal, this was going to be released in Japan and it was a boy band, but it was a, a more of an adult contemporary boy band, um, multi, multi, uh, genre, gender. We had females in the group, um, uh, a, a lady singer who's, uh, I forgot her name, but she was an amazing singer, uh, multi-national uh, 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 too. We had a lot of people from uh, 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 other countries who were um, who were recording on stuff who all came together. And it was a, a group of us. And it was funny, recording that album, <laughs> Robert, working, first of all, Robert Plavillis was a, he's a genius. He's him and David Clo, uh, David Cole from CNC Music Factory. Obviously, they've had major success. But he was also a good friend of mine. And he also started in the freestyle. He did, uh, he recorded, their first song was a, a record by Seduction. Um, oh. Can you feel my your heartbeat? You make me feel, I think they did that one. And I think they did Lydia Lee Love. That's when they first, first started, before they started working with like Whitney Houston and the new kids on the block and all that. Um and uh, it was uh, it was a group that uh, through the process, I was doing the majority of the vocals, but there was a lot of members coming in, coming out, coming in, coming out. So it started with four and then it turned into six. And um, unfortunately, during the ending of the album, the, the album never really got taken off, took off because of the negotiations fell from Sony Japan. But they did release the record. Um, uh, Japan only. And I actually have one copy of Urban Society. And uh, it was a, it's a pretty cool album. I think I have, uh, I have a couple of songs that I co-wrote on that album. I wonder if we can find it out there on YouTube because you can see oh, you, find everything. You can, yeah. <laughs> Just type, believe me, you'll find it. It's, uh, it's out there. There's a couple of tracks out there. You, there's a lot of people that don't know about this app called Discog. Have you ever heard of it? No. Discog. Yeah, D-I-S-C-O-G. And you can find any wax or 45 or 33s you want. Just type it in. You'll find that someone has it and you'll get it shipped to you in oh. brand new condition. Very inexpensive because I'm a huge collector of wax. So I play a lot of, I play a lot of old jazz records and old, just old. I like, if I can read the credits and hold it in my hand, I know it's nostalgic. It's something about holding oh. the piece of record back in the days. Remember those days when you would open the record and you just read everything? I've said this. Oh man, there was nothing like Tuesdays because that's when all the new releases came out. And just going to in Canada, we would go to the HMV usually or the oh Sound of the Record God, Band HMV. or whatever. Wow, HMV, that's crazy. Yes, I remember them very well. Yes, and getting a physical copy, taking it home, turning it on for the first time, and just like engaging yourself in the whole experience is just such a missing feeling. It is. It is. And you know what? You hit it right down the knot. You know, coming home, there was no previews. There was no um, 
advanced copies of sound, sound bites. Like you didn't know what you were going to hear once you took it out the plastic, take it out the sleeve and put that shiny wax paper right on the record. And when you hear that in the first couple of seconds, you either loved it or you hated it. But that was the experience. That was the experience you like. And if you loved it, you would just play the whole thing and just sit back, have a cup of coffee, glass of wine, smoke whatever you want to smoke and just <laughs> play music and just sit back and, and let the music take control. It was it was it was an amazing experience that um, I can say I don't miss because I still get that uh, I get that feeling every time I buy it myself. I order some music online somewhere and I receive them and I just can't wait to play. We actually have wax of the new single of uh, I Believe in Love. We have actual 12 inch records. Oh, and people can pick those up too online. Oh yeah, www.flygroove.com. It's that simple. Go there, and they have. Uh, I think they have CDs, and they have twelve-inch. Do I have one around here? Uh, no, it's in a box right now. I just moved to a bigger place, so everything's in boxes. Still got it. I'm back, but yeah, no, <laughs> that's so cool. Because, like, what do you think your vinyl collection is like? How how many vinyls do you think you own? So. Um, I didn't want to go crazy with it because vinyl takes a lot of space. Um, yeah. Most of it is in storage in New York City. So I started another collection down here. I, I have like, a, I just I just started. I have like about maybe 75, 50, nothing crazy because mm-hmm. that takes up a lot of room. And next thing you know, you got I got like three full boxes of like TV size, 30 inch, 40 inch boxes of records all piled up in storage. So, and that's not including the cassettes because I have tons of cassettes as well and 45s, but mostly my collection has, have been, um, anything with, uh, instrumental or jazz. I love jazz. I've been listening to jazz a lot. Um, you know, so that's the kind of stuff I've been kind of listening to right now. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, I want to get into the whole collecting thing, but you're right. It is a space issue. (laughs) And and it's expensive. Yeah. (laughs) No. Yeah. I mean, you might be lucky if you go down to like a flea market or something and you can get some kind of like gems, but yeah, yeah. it can cost like $40. I'm thinking Canadian money, but like $40 for a brand new record. Honey, it's the same thing over here. 40 bucks, US dollars, yeah. same thing over here. It's uh, it's up there. But if, if there's something that you want and it's, and, it, and it's, and it's, and if I see it and I know I'm not going to see it again, I'll grab it. Like, like, mm-hmm. If I, uh, I'm, I'm looking for the new Adele, I want to get the new Adele um, um, record. So, but I want to get the actual album. So I haven't seen it yet here, uh, but once I get it, I'm going to grab that bag, but that's going to be my collection. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. I'm already liking what I hear from, from that. <laughs> yeah, now, she's a joke. Good for her. Now, um, we're wrapping things up pretty soon here. I was going to ask you too, um, what kind of like TV shows did you enjoy visiting the most? Like some of the appearances you've made and like your favorite hosts and experiences like that. Yeah. I used to, I used to love going to one Oh three, five KTU. And, uh, I would love hanging out with, uh, fast Freddie Cologne, fast Freddie Cologne was one of the air personalities that every time I called, he would, I would just show up to the, to the radio station. And that was on, um, 103.5 FM in New York city back in the early nineties. He was someone that was always treated me with open arms. He was a fan, um, Broadway Billy as well from KTU, same, 
radio station. And I used to love to visit downtown Julie Brown on Club MTV. She was such a sweetheart. Mm. She made me feel like that was my home. And um, we used to have so much fun because it was all recorded live um, on, uh, it depended on the location it was. It Because back in the 90s, there were so many clubs in the New York tri-state area. <clears throat> Excuse me. Mm. I remember them recording one at the Palladium. <clears throat> this place was huge. It was a, a it was a old uh, theater that was um, they had recreated um, and they fixed and they spent millions of dollars. And I'm, when I'm talking, this place was huge. It was huge. You could fit about five thousand people in there. And they recorded. Uh, I think I sang. If you go on YouTube, type in George Lamond. and Battle of the Heart. I think I was wearing a red blazer. Uh, I don't know what I was thinking. I thought I was Mr. I don't know. I thought it was Elton John or something. But uh, <clears throat> it was so much fun. We recorded that live. I remember uh, we did it live. They had asked, um, do you have the vocals? Because sometimes audio on shows don't come that great if you do it live. You're not set up mm -hmm. the right way. And I said, no, we don't, we, don't, we don't have the tracks that we have. We have no vocals. It only have supporting background vocals. They were like, oh, shoot. So we did one shoot and they tested it out and they were like, he sounds great. Let's, let's do it again. So we recorded. That was actually live vocals because sometimes if you did like Soul Train, mm -hmm. they have the vocals on there. And you had to lip sync. And I was the worst lip syncer. <laughs> I, I hate doing it. You could tell right away. I would mess up all the words and everything. It was the worst. Yeah. No, I'm aware <laughs> there's quite a few shows that actually require lip syncing. And I don't think people know that. <laughs> it's not they your choice. They, isn't that sad? But you're in the business of audio and video. So you, you would know because, you know, it has to sync up and yeah. it doesn't sync up. I'm like, but wait a minute. Um, you know, they look like they're huffing and puffing up there <laughs> and, <laughs> and, but they sound on point. It's like, but I get it. But it's, it's, it's about the show. It's about the performance. It's not about how exhausted you look on, on TV. So not to take away from anybody else. And it gets people a chance to know you. It's a good promotional tool. Then they can come see you at your real show. There you go. And I'm glad you brought that up because right now the new single, I believe in love. I'm, I'm performing. It's the first one I always do. And I perform it with the vocals. I want them to experience the song in itself. If they've never heard it, I want them to hear it the way they're going to hear it. If they, if they purchase the CD and then when they know it, which uh, I'm giving myself, I told myself, I'm giving myself six months uh, to uh, I'm sorry, three months to perform it that way. With, and then after the third month, I'm going to start performing it live. Um, and I'm going to see, I'm going to take a gauge, see if people are feeling it. But I tell you this, every time I perform that song right now, the first time I come out with the song, people just, they, they recognize it. In my markets anyway, my markets. Uh, and that's a good feeling. They really like it. So I'm glad. I can't wait to share it on the show too. I'm very excited for that. You're going to, you're going <laughs> to like it. You're going to like it. I play a, I play a dad in the video. So, uh, I remember telling uh, Joey, I don't even want to be in the video, bro. He goes, Chuck, but you have to be in the video. You're freaking George Lamont. I'm like, yeah, I'm old George Lamont. I don't want to get someone else. He goes, we can, who the hell is we going to get? <laughs> so I tried everything in my power to not be in the video. But, you know, what are you going to do? He twisted my arm and I'm like, fine. Just, he goes, look, you won't be in it as much. I'm like, so when I saw the video, I felt bad because I wasn't in it as much. I'm like, well, you don't show me much. He goes, what the hell? You just finished telling me you don't want to be in the video. <laughs> so it works out perfect. It works out perfect. Oh, 
I'm so glad that we spent time talking together today and I can't wait to share this whole episode about your music with everybody. Before we leave, I wanted to ask you what food, clothing item, toy, any of those types of things would make you nostalgic for the 90s? Rubik's Cube. Yeah? The Rubik's Cube and the Sony Sports Walkman. I used to rock that big yellow thing. I used to rock those foam headphones everywhere I went. And you couldn't tell me nothing because I was the best sound ever. It was called a Sony Handyman, yellow, and everyone wanted one. And I know I, I had one person in my neighborhood. So anti-skip, anti-skip with anti-skip, right? Fast forward and Dolby. Don't forget <laughs> Dolby sound. So that's right. You thought you were the ish every time. You was like, well, my 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 ish got Dolby. I don't know what crap you got, but I got the right one. <laughs> Yeah, man. Now you see commercials, the guy running with it, and he's he's banging it because it's skipping. Exactly. Oh, well, thank you so much, George. It was a pleasure. Naomi, it was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Um, I would definitely love to see this. And I want to send a shout out to everyone out in beautiful Canada. Um, I don't go up there as much, but I talk about it from every visit that I've been to. And the people are so beautiful and welcoming. Mm-hmm. And I love uh, the the feel and the energy out there and um, up there. And uh, I always say that once this whole COVID thing goes, I definitely want to go up there to visit and um, just, just do the things I used to do, which was eat, shop, dance, eat some more, shop, and uh, (laughs) just have a great time. Beautiful. All right. We can't wait to see you. If you head out to the West side here, I'll come West side of Canada. I'll be able to make it to see you. Oh man, yeah, definitely. I need to go over there. Yeah, that's that's untouched territory for me. So I gotta go over there. <laughs> you gotta love the West. You gotta love the West. You can't just love the East. So uh, I'll be seeing you soon, Naomi. Te vas de mí Te juro mi vida Empezando en lo nuestro Me pasé la noche Instagram, 
at dope underscore nostalgia. Visit our website at www.dopenostalgia.com or pick up the phone and call us at 780-851-8785. This podcast is licensed by SoCan because we believe that artists should be paid for their work.